Hello and welcome to Big Streaming Pile. I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly. And I am Tom. Tom is back. I'm back. No longer our streak of random guests that we have. Oh, I guess you were on the last one, the Halloween special. Yeah, I was on that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're back alone. Yeah, so alone. Um, And to make up for that, I made Tom watch three movies. Instead of just <laughs> instead of just one, um, this episode is super fun. We are we are doing a Mary Kate Nashley special um, because there's a million Mary Kate Nashley movies. Um, I will clarify which ones. Uh, we are doing Passport to Paris, Switching Goals, and Billboard Dad, all of which you can find on Hulu. And I also noticed that you actually can find. Um, Double Double Toil and Trouble, also on Hulu. But um, I don't. I, maybe it wasn't on there when we were watching uh-huh. these movies. Maybe they just put it on for Halloween. But that one is also on Hulu. I I'm, I'm gonna bet that you were not a Mary Kate Ashley fan growing up. That's a fair bet. <laughs> <laughs> but I was. I I really mm-hmm. liked Mary Kate Ashley growing up. Um, I remembered I wanted to be a part of the Mary Kate and Ashley Fun Club, mm. but my parents, I think, didn't want to pay the dues. But like, it, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but I think we still got the occasional like magazine. I think there was like stuff that you could get in stores that you didn't have to be like a member, but you could still like buy okay. it in stores or whatever. Um, and, or no, it was the books. That's what it was. Um, I had several mm. of the books, like, uh, I think you can even get them in the full house novelizations. Uh, there would be like a card that you could tear out of the back of the book to like join the Mary Kate and Ashley fun club, um, which is a play on fan club. If that wasn't just extremely obvious, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I was I was a Mary Kate and Ashley um stan growing up, which was fun to revisit these videos because I remember that Billboard Dad was like my favorite growing up, and uh-huh. I don't think it was my favorite of the ones we watched like for this episode. I would agree. Yeah. Um, see if we really wanted to dig deep into the Mary Kate and Ashley lore though, I would I would make you watch your invited to Mary Kate and Ashley's, which was like a Something like a seven part series what? of like, yeah, no. <laughs> so, this is why I always sing like pizza. I want P I Z Z A. I don't know if you've ever heard me sing that when I have Probably. pizza. Yeah, that's from You're Invited okay. to Mary Kay Nashley's, which is basically like they played themselves, but it was like staged like sleepover movies. Um, okay. And like it often had um, accompanying like albums because they would like make songs about things that were like happening in the movies. I don't know. <laughs> they were not like terribly good singers, even for <laughs> even for children. But I do remember um, the one CD that I did have had like the pizza song, and it also had a song about um, RSVPing. And I remember in that in that song, there was a part where it was like, we're VIPs and like an adult with a French accent went, no, VITs, very important twins. 
And I still, this this has huh. lived rent-free in my brain for <laughs> over 20 years. My parents let me watch too much television as a child. See, I watched very little television as a child. We didn't have cable most of the time. Yeah. Well, th- these were all direct to um, VHS. Okay. So, yeah. So, they were in, like, the kids section of, like, the video stores. Because uh, I don't okay. think I owned any of these. I think that we just rented them. Okay. I might have owned Billboard Dad. Um, okay. So, yeah. That's my, that's my Mary-Kate and <laughs> That's your history. Yeah. My history is I knew they existed growing up. Um, I don't think I have paid any attention to them at all. Mm. See, I really liked... Um, full house when i was a wee one and then as i got like slightly older but still pretty young um that's when they really started like blowing up because um they were not like infants or toddlers they were like fully formed humans at that point yeah yeah um but still very young i I don't think they're much older than either of us are now i think that they're maybe in their mid-30s yeah that sounds about right um yeah i mean that's what is to me, actually, what's super interesting is it really was a brand that was so targeted towards uh, girls. So, I mean, like, as a boy, like, there was nothing presented about it that was like, this is something you would like. Yeah, because that's, uh, that's sort of too, like, as we get into the movies more, we can talk about that. But it's, like, such strong, like, feminine themes um well or at least traditionally mm-hmm. coded feminine themes like there's always like some sort of romance in it and there's like a makeover scene and you know um stuff like that so it really is like um oh mary kate and ashley are little girls like you and these are their movies so you should like watch them um they almost like interestingly like didn't go the like america's sweetheart route like you know you think of like shirley temple and stuff like that like shirley temple Mm -hmm. was not like being marketed exclusively to children it was like oh like look at this like cute little kid and she's in all these like movies like you know yeah it was definitely not like that like these were movies like well essentially like especially towards the end they were like by kids for kids yeah like as mary kate and ashley became larger and larger parts of the actual like production and creative vision like, it really became, like, this sort of window. Well, I think that's part of what makes these movies so interesting is that um, they're kids' movies that I think managed to capture a kid's perspective really well. Or at least, like, a certain type of kid's perspective from a certain moment in time. Yeah, because I think on all three of these movies, they're listed as executive producers. Okay. Um which may have like obviously they were like 10 years old so mm-hmm. i don't know how much input they were like actually being able to like assert over their um image or anything like that but um i know that like for their 18th birthday like the day they turned 18 they became like the presidents of dual star entertainment which was like their entertainment company yeah, yeah. um and they have, like, you know, since gone on. They're not acting anymore. I think the last thing that either of them was in, I think Ashley started, stopped acting, like, in, like, 2004 or something, like, right at the end of these, like, um, straight to VHS. Well, I think that New York Minute was out in, like, regular movie theaters. So I don't think that that was, like, straight to DVD. But I think that that was the last one that Ashley was in. And Mary-Kate went on to do um, a number of other films, um 
namely Beastly, the fi- <laughs> the finest movie ever made. Is she? Yeah, she's the villain in oh, Beastly. That's right. Yeah, she's the evil witch. Um, but uh, yeah, they went on to you know go to NYU and go to fashion school, and they have an extremely successful fashion company now. Oh, um, yeah. Today I learned. Yeah, it's called, um, I think it's called Elizabeth and James. Um, <laughs> it's like, uh... So they didn't, like, tag their names on it. No, but they, like, own it. And okay. I, I know that, like, within, like, the fashion world, um, they are, like, very well respected, too. Okay. Like, they didn't just, like, dump a bunch of money into this venture and sort of, like, yeah. call it a day. Um, but... So they use connections, but, like, they also, like, yeah, other stuff. That's interesting. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, they both have like degrees mm-hmm. in in fashion, and they have like a pretty successful company now. So hmm. you know, good for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they did. I mean, like growing up, I remember like limited to and everything. Like half the stuff in there was like Mary Kate Ashley brand. Um, okay. so you know, obviously they were exposed to this stuff from like a very young age. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so you know, they're hopefully doing well. Um, we have now their sibling Elizabeth, who I I, I do think is a very very good actor. Um. I don't think I've disliked any of her movies, except the Marvel ones, but that's not her fault. <laughs> she was misused. Yeah, she she was. They didn't give her a lot. What they what she did get, she worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, but and maybe uh, this, like the One Division thing will be a chance for her to like show off. One Division has very good early reviews, and they just announced I think today that it's coming out January fifteenth. So, oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I'm excited um they made us wait an extra like yeah. seven or eight months for it but out, yeah yeah, yeah listen this a year from now be like turns out it sucked <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it, like i said it, the early reviews i've read are, are pretty positive so far so That's good. fingers crossed yeah so I, I'm, I'm excited for it mm-hmm. um i do think it's kind of funny though that like because they're sort of like lampooning um different styles of like uh television including like sitcoms and that was sort of like mary kate nashley's like very early bread and butter was you know full house (laughs) which had you know like all those shows that came out at the time um sort of like helped define this genre of like family style sitcoms um especially for ones with like massive casts like they had in full house and like you know a lot of like very little kids and also trying to tell these adult Mm storylines um Another fun fact about Mary Kate and Ashley. Um, <laughs> I'm full of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Full House, if you notice, like, they're not credited as Mary Kate and Ashley. Um, they're credited as Mary Kate Ashley Olsen because they didn't want people to know that Michelle was played by two kids. Oh. That happens, like, very frequently in, like, movies and TV shows and stuff like that where you want to cast, like, twins or triplets. Um, because kids, mm. especially kids that young, only can work so many hours. Yeah. So if you have like multiple children that look exactly the same, yeah, it's like you can like swap them out. And then too, if one is like upset or something, you got another. Yeah, you got a spare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's all of our yeah. fun facts. Do you want to get into talking about yeah, the plots let's talk of these, these movies? movies? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So uh, which one do you want to start with? Um, we could go in release order, which just now going through Wikipedia, I think is Passport to Paris, Billboard Dad, Switching Goals. It's Billboard Dad, Passport to Paris, Switching Goals. Okay. 
because Billboard Dad was 98, and then Passport to Paris and Switching Goals were both 99. Okay, I thought I saw it as one that was 97. Mm, I can check again. Well, I thought it was, I thought there was like a 90, I thought, thought I saw like 97, 98, 99. So Billboard Dad was 98. Pass. Passport to Paris, 1999. Okay, I'm full of shit. Google knows me so well. I typed in PA and the first result was Passport to Paris. <laughs> well, I noticed earlier when I was searching for switching goals, I put switching goals and one of the first things that came up was like full movie. I'm like, people are still watching this. Yeah, I mean, it's on Hulu. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But people would still care enough about it to like pirate it. Mm. See? See, I saw um, when I was like just making sure that the movies, I, I try to make sure like before we record mm. these things, especially as it gets closer to um to the time to do them, that you can like still get these movies on streaming yeah. services. Um, So I typed in like Mary-Kate and Ashley Hulu. And, uh, I mean, there were, like, multiple articles about people being really excited to see these movies again. So, I think yeah. that they were, like... Yeah, people like these yeah, movies. Yeah, people like these mm-hmm. movies. Mary-Kate and Ashley was, like, you mm-hmm. know, important to... Mary-Kate and Ashley, the brand, was mm-hmm. important to people uh, growing up. But do you want to start with Billboard Dad? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. I pulled the Wikipedia page. It's been a while since we watched these yeah, movies. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. Um... We were, see, we thought we were going to give ourselves so much time to record, and of course, we waited until the day before. Yep. Um, <laughs> go team. Um, so this one is set in LA, which not all of them are. So they are mm-hmm. LA gals in this mm-hmm. one. Um, and um, so as per usual, so Mary Kate and Ashley often, um, Ashley is playing like a girly girl and Mary Kate is playing a tomboy. That's sort of like mm-hmm. part of their brand is that they're like, you know, opposites or whatever. And uh, in this one, they're playing, um, Emily, Tyler and Tess. So Ashley is playing Emily and Tess is, or Mary Kate is playing Tess. Um, and Emily in this one is a surfer girl and Tess is a member of the high diving team because we always have to have like a subplot about a competition, I guess. Yeah. So wait, so within this sort of like 90s California context, which of those codes is girly girl? Is it the high diving is like girly? I think... surfing is like tomboy? I think that the high diving is supposed to be the tomboy one because it's like a competition and um but this one is a little bit less distinct than it is in like switching goals yeah i think it's not as much tomboy girly girl more like like competitive and laid back yeah yeah or like prep versus like hippie surfer well like uh, i don't know like what i don't think that's an archetype <laughs> I guess yeah, surfer girl. I, yeah, I think it's supposed to be like laid back versus like competitive in okay, this one. Okay, okay. Um But Emily does also in the movie sort of like code as the more like um like um empathetic, like emotionally intuitive one. Um okay. so I think that that's sort of like the girly girl replacement because she's the one that like better picks up on on the romance subplots, especially in regards to like her sister. Okay. Um so, um, their father is a widower, um, Max is his name, and he is also a sculptor who has an evil assistant. Nigel. Nigel. Nigel is evil and just wants to steal his money. 
Um, so Max is trying to go out on um, various dates at the encouraging of his daughters mm-hmm. to um, get back out there. Because his wife and their mother passed away. It was very sad. Yeah. And they go to get ice cream and he like has a meltdown or something, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a scene. Yeah, I forgot about that. They went to like the ice cream place that they always love. Because he's been like depressed. Yeah. And that's, like. That's like the sort of set up for this whole movie is that he, that dad is sad because mom died a couple years ago and he's just never been himself and everyone's like you gotta move on dude like everyone else is like doing better but he's still just sad all the time yeah um so the first couple attempts at dating sort of like end in failure um so tess and emily get this idea that they're going to take out an advertisement on a uh, billboard and by take on advertisement, I mean they like sneak out in the middle of the night and um, put up an advertisement. Yeah, they somehow. don't like pay for it. They just yeah, they just they just literally like guerrilla like, marketing sort of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was just like an unused billboard, and they just were like, "Here's my hot dad." Well, they don't say that because then they would have gotten caught. But they're like, "Here's this guy, like you know, call him whatever." Um, and he Get gets your dill here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so then it, like, cuts to, um, cuts to, uh, Brooke. I was, I was, I'm looking at the Wikipedia summary and I'm getting confused <laughs> about these characters. Um, so Brooke is, like, this, like, career-driven mm-hmm. woman and, she, and and she's like, oh, that's, like, super yikes to take out a billboard dating ad, which, like, agreed. Yeah. Um, but her friend Debbie is, like, pretty into it and Debbie, like, calls him and goes to go on a date, but, like, on the date, um, she brings Brooke along in case, like, this guy is, like, a weirdo and she needs an out or whatever. But then Max and Brooke, like, end up meeting and like sort of hitting it off um not knowing that you know each other is like who they are yeah and then, well, i think that i think what happens is that max thinks that brooke is the woman he's supposed to meet here oh is that it yeah i think that's what's going on okay so um but so then they like figure it out debbie is extremely cool about this and is like yeah. you guys hit it off like go ahead whatever she, yeah she's like She's, like, honestly the quiet hero of this movie <laughs> for just, like, being on this, like, weird date. You bring your friend as backup, and your friend ends up, like, with the guy you're supposed to date, and you're just like, that's cool. Yeah. Go, Debbie. Yeah. We all need a Debbie in our we lives. We do all need a Debbie in our lives. That's that's the honest truth. Um, But then there is um a, a conflict because debbie or no um brooke rather brooke has a son named um ryan who is like a bad boy like he's he's a jerk whatever um but then he ends up like redeeming himself yeah um except is he actually a jerk he like does some like innocuously jerky things like nothing too out of the usual for like a like yeah 11 year old boy or whatever is that he's like mildly snippy Mm-hmm. And then Mary Kate and Ashley are like, "This boy must be destroyed." Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, like, yes. Um, they code him as like they code him as being like a bad boy. He has like bleached, spiky hair, and I think that yeah. they even give him like an eyebrow ring or something. Like, then maybe I'm like yeah. making that part up. But they definitely code him as like you're not supposed to like this character. Yeah, um, I think that was a part of the movie that was actually confusing to me watching it. 
Um, because I think that whatever, like, coding they were using, I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it felt like it was this boy who was slightly different and having a hard time. And then our two main characters who we, like, empathize with are just like, let's just fuck this guy up. <laughs> oh, well, that's sort of like, I think they and, just... and they, they do end up there in the movie anyway, but I feel like yeah. I got there before the movie wanted me there. <laughs> yeah, because it's supposed to be like, don't judge a book by its cover, but it, it's sort of doing it in a way that like, a, you know, a little girl who um, empathize, like, because we're supposed to, before the movie even starts, like, empathize with Mary yeah. Kate and Ashley. Yeah, yeah. So, so going into these movies, we're supposed to just, like, understand that Mary-Kate and Ashley are, like, the heroes. Yeah. And um, any wrongdoing they do is, like, done because they're, like, young girls who don't, like, quite understand how the mm. world works. So mm. we're, like, meant to be, like, learning along with them. Yeah. Um, which is a point that we can get into more later. Also, looking at um, the Wikipedia page for Debbie... Um, the, the woman who plays Debbie, uh, she's, she's a White House correspondent from Cleveland. Oh. And also she was in a Mary-Kate and Ashley movie, so that's really cool. Um, also, Troyan Belisario, uh, plays, um, one of the other dive team girls, I think. I think that's who her character was. Okay. I don't know who that is. She is from Pretty Little Liars. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Um, and she's probably the best actor on Pretty Little Liars, who was absolutely shafted in um, the last episode when they told her that she needs to now be able to do a British accent, which she did not pull off. Um, <laughs> poor troy <Ann. laughs> But I digress. Um, where are we in the plot? Oh, yeah, Ryan. So, um, Ryan sort of, like, helps them, um, defeat Nigel, and all the while there's this, like, plot with, um, uh, which one? Mary-Kate's character, Tess, um, there's a boy who has a crush on her, and she sort of, like, doesn't realize, because she's like, oh, he's my best friend, and then, um, Emily has to help her figure that out. So that works out. Yeah. And uh, there is a pretty funny scene where he tries to confess his love, but does it to the wrong twin. Is that in that one? I think it is. Okay. Pretty sure it is. Okay. There's a lot of like twin mix up plots. I thought that that one was switching goals, but I think that that's another twin mix up plot. That one, though, was like an intentional twin mix up. This other one was just like he just was stupid okay yeah yeah well they weren't like trying to fool anyone he just i think he just went up and confessed to the wrong girl okay and then she was like hey what's like (laughs) sort of interesting i'm like so fun fact about my high school like they had like more twins in my high school and like more twins and triplets Mm -hmm. than i think anywhere else in the state of ohio if not like the rest of the country um I don't know why there were so many twins and triplets at my high school, but, like, even, like, identical t- twins and triplets, you could, like, tell them apart, like, after spending some time with them. Yeah, after spending some time. Though I do think that the older they get, the easier that is. Yeah. So, yeah, get, getting back to the plot, um, team up with Ryan and Cody, who helped them. Um, the billboard was, like... Or, no, they, they basically write, like, taken over the billboard because Max and Brooke have had like 
weird problems, mostly orchestrated by Nigel. Um, and uh, they also defeat Nigel and get them out, out of uh, their dad's life. Mm-hmm. for the better because he was just trying to steal their, their money yeah um and you know the day is saved mm-hmm. and nigel is like so nigel is the father's like agent he's an art like the father is an artist so nigel is the agent and yeah. nigel wants the dad to be sad and spend all his time making edgy art yeah but the dad is like no i feel happy now so i want to make less edgy art and nigel's like that edgy shit sells (laughs) (laughs) we've we've all been there um yeah nigel just wants to make bank yeah which like who can blame him (laughs) yeah nigel is also by a significant margin the gayest character in any of these films yeah nigel is like not canonically gay but is very queer coded yeah um which i think is just that you know um to to use a phrase that's been tossed around our our house lately has been like they were like uncritically pulling tropes and just yeah throwing them in the movie um, again, because you're just supposed to, like, understand very quickly, like, oh, this guy is bad, and, you know, yeah. like, coding, then, coding characters as queer so often is coding them as, um, as villains. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, do we want to talk about the next movie? Yeah, let's, let's keep this, Passport uh, to Paris. On. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me pull up the Wikipedia summary Boom. on my phone for... Passport to Paris. 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 So it took like four years of high school French where you can hit that like stupid like uh, nasal thing better than I can. Yeah, that's not the best out with French because I also took French in high school and I'm like pretty good at pronunciation and reading. Um, but I'm, what's weird too is that like all other languages I try to do that like French nasal. Mm. Um, so like I, like, do Russian by way of France. <laughs> it sounds really weird, because Russian is not a terribly nah. nasal language, but I try to, like, everything. Um, okay, so this one is about Melanie and Allison Porter, and their grandfather is the ambassador to France. Um, and they don't see him often, but they're spending, um, they're spending their spring break with their grandfather, um, Edward, Mr. Ambassador. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so they, they're, like, ready to have this, like, good time with their grandfather or whatever, but, um, they end up stuck with his assistant, Jeremy, who never lets them have any fun, um, because I'm sure the ambassador to France is, like, so much more fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but they they get to like you know the mansion and everything and like they try to like play loud music and jump on the bed and stuff and you know um like wear cool american clothes but they get in trouble for it constantly because jeremy's such a fucking hard ass <laughs> <laughs> um but during all this they they managed to on one of their day trips um sneak away from Jeremy and befriend, and befriend um Brigitte who is a french uh like a really famous like french fashion model um who shows them like the real like cool paris mm-hmm. and and stuff like that 
Um, and they also meet two French boys named Jean and Michel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they uh, throughout their adventures, like, find various ways to ditch Jeremy so that they can, like, hang out with Jean and Michel and, you mm-hmm. know... Um, just see Paris instead of like going to boring museums or whatever dumb mm-hmm. thing Jeremy wants them to do. I don't know. But Jeremy and Brigitte um end up meeting and like hitting it off. Mm-hmm. Um so they get their boy Jeremy laid. Yeah, so that like <laughs> sort of like helps him um loosen up a little yeah. bit with the girls so he like lets them like wander off a little bit more because he wants to uh, get his dick wet yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh so they're 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 doing stuff too like trying to get the chef to like eat mcdonald's and the chef's like i have never eaten mcdonald's yeah, that was the funniest subplot of this movie was this like hilariously absurdly french chef like don't we literally see him like every time he's like walking through the house he like literally has like a bag of baguettes yeah he has like these yeah like they have the like comically long baguettes (laughs) yeah he's just carrying around and it's so funny um and he's got like the whole like like the exact like mustache and hat and stuff yeah like, like just like imagine french chef that is what this guy looks like. Like, if you were, like, making, like, the cartooniest cartoon, this is, like, this man. And then they have a subplot where they force this man to eat hamburgers and he likes them. Yeah, like, french fries and hamburgers, which he says he's never had. Yeah. Um, which I sort of don't believe. But, you know. This, this man oh, has... He's he's grown up solely on Michelin restaurants. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so they sort of, like, woo the staff with their charming American ways. Um, fun fact, one spring break growing up, um, my family and I went to Ireland. Um, and if you've ever been to Ireland, like, the food is not, like, super different, but it's, like, different enough that for me and my sister, who were pretty young at the time, it got sort of unpleasant at times um so my parents took us to mcdonald's a lot and were i think pretty frustrated by that (laughs) i remember so distinctly being at like the inn where we Mm -hmm. were staying and going down for breakfast and they asked us what kind of pudding we wanted black or white so to like a seven-year-old you're thinking vanilla and chocolate right it's not what that is nope nope (laughs) Um, I was, I was ready because that's like the most exciting thing in the world to a kid, right? Is like mm-hmm. you're at breakfast and you get asked what kind of pudding you want. And I don't know why my parents didn't tell us, but we were majorly disappointed. That is pretty fair. Yeah. I feel like just take your kids to Disney World and then when they're teenagers, like you can take them to Europe or whatever. Yeah. We did enjoy, like, a lot of, of Ireland. It, it was really sad, though, because I was, um, there was, like, a big foot and mouth disease outbreak because we went to Trolley. We didn't go to, like, Dublin or Limerick. We went to Trolley because they have a big um, festival at the time we were going to, and it was canceled that year because mm. of the foot and mouth outbreak. So we 
and Trelly is like, it's not like a, a small town or whatever, but it's like not like, you know, one of the big notable yeah, cities. Yeah. I and mean, it was really beautiful still. Um, it, was, it was very cool being there, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was, I mean, that's, that's just what you sign up for with kids when you're taking them to Europe. Yeah. They may not appreciate all the parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're running around Paris or whatever. And um, their grandfather is, like, sort of unawares because he's trying to work on, like, a, a clean drinking water bill or something. Yeah. He's trying he's trying to get, like, you know, the French president to, like, agree to clean up the sewers. I don't know. Which doesn't really even make that much sense because he's, like, an ambassador, not, like... Yeah, I, I think that they just, like... Yeah, I think that they just, like, needed something that, yeah. like you couldn't like disagree with and i think that like foreign policy is a little bit above like yeah. the like, no- <laughs> it's not gonna be about like you know like the ambassador convincing like france to you know go to war with iraq or something <laughs> 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 that would that would have aged even worse especially because a big part of the plot is that mary kate and ashley um convince the french president with their charming american ways to agree to this yeah um (laughs) we bombings (laughs) um but how they do this is they basically like at dinner have like the just like tap water served which is like really like gross looking and stuff like that and being like with our grandpa's plan, we could have clean drinking water. Cool. Yay. Day saved. Mm-hmm. Um, they did it. They did they it. to make out with hot French boys. They do. Um, but that also shows grandpa that, you know, his, his granddaughters are not just, like, annoying kids, but um, important pol- domestic policymakers, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They they changed they changed the, how the whole like ambassador mansion operates in just their like two weeks yeah. of being there, and uh, they also got Jeremy laid, which, yeah. which was the most important part. Th- that was like Jeremy's subplot too, is that he was like, um, he was like he had been an assistant for forever, and he was like always you know a pretty good assistant, but he like had bigger ideas and he could be like doing more, but he just needed to like loosen up, and once he loosened yeah. up, that's how he like um got places. Yeah, which is it's like I do remember a specific scene from this movie where it's like late at night and like the girls are in trouble and like Jeremy's in trouble. Mm-hmm. But, like, Brigitte is there and just, like, clearly, you can just, like, the way they're dressed and the way they're standing, like, they were in the middle or just finished having sex. <laughs> yeah. They were, like, <laughs> hiding out and, like, like by, like, the gatehouse, like, where you pull in your cars and they, like, were, like, running out. She's, like, still putting a sweater on yeah. and I'm, like... They were okay. boning. They were definitely boning. <laughs> Which, like, good for Jeremy, yeah. honestly. But, like, it, that's, uh, it was pretty funny to see that in this movie. Yeah. And I'm not 100% sure if that was intended, but it's 100% how I understood it. Yeah. I think that, like... But it wasn't, like, played as a gag. No. It was just presented, like, totally as is. Yeah, it was, like, presented this way, and just, like, I can literally only draw the conclusion that they were banging. <laughs> 
Um, but it also ends with because Jeremy is um, taking a bigger um, role in the ambassador's office. Then now Grandpa has time freed up to go back to the United States more and visit his uh, mm-hmm. his grandchildren. So yay! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary Kate and Ashley get to go to that strange. They get dance. to go to this the French dance that mm-hmm. they like randomly decided they were like really desperate to go to well, because the hot french boys invited them. yeah and like and the hot french boys are gonna be playing there and they were going to show them the real paris yeah the real paris yeah <laughs> and then they make out at the dance yep mm-hmm. all's well that ends well exciting movie i think that that one was actually my favorite one i would agree i think that was the best of these three movies and I think it's so much, too, that the guy who played Jeremy just fucking sold it. <laughs> like, yeah. I also think that just this movie benefited from just, I mean, they clearly were, like, in Paris. Yeah. So it's just, like, they are filming, like, pretty banal scenes in, like, very cool locations. And they clearly had a lot of fun, like, scouting cool locations to shoot in. Right. So that also made this movie, like, more watchable, at least for me, than the other two. Yeah. And, like, I do love movies where like you have a cast who like even though like they have to know that this movie is like ridiculous and like no one put any sort of effort into it and the cast just all like super commits and does the yeah. best job they can and that was like this movie like i love yeah. movies that's like something that. i would actually say is true about all three of these is that you feel like everyone involved is like really committed to making this movie right like people aren't phoning in yeah for better or worse (laughs) yeah yeah really um so let's talk about the last movie switching goals what's weird is that if you would have like told me to put these in order i would have assumed that this was like the first one they made yeah because like they seem a little bit younger in it like it's like a little Mm -hmm. bit less refined this is the one i think that was like phoned in the most (laughs) yeah yeah i would agree with that though it still had like a lot going yeah. Um, so this one is about 13-year-old identical twin sisters Sam and Emma Stanton, who are opposites growing up in Evansville. It's the first line of the Wikipedia plot summary. Boom. <laughs> um, so Sam is like um, a, a soccer player, and she's like super good, but she's a tomboy, and boys mm. don't like tomboys, and she wants a boyfriend. And, um, this is the movie that definitely hits the hardest on like the tomboy girly girl. Yes. And, um, Emma is a girly girl, but she wants to be better at sports. So you have this Mm -hmm. sort of like, um, yin and yang situation going on. Um, and their dad, Jerry, biggest asshole in the entire world, owns like a sports store and um sponsors like a a youth like soccer team that he's like weirdly competitive about and um because their team like always goes to uh like always wins the championship or whatever and um this year it's like it's been decided that it's going to be a co-ed team instead of just a boys team which he's like weirdly sort of pissed about but then he's like oh wait my daughter is super good at um at soccer Mm -hmm. so i'll just pick her and then we'll like win so i'm not as mad that it's co-ed now even though these are children we're talking about it's wild to me that it wasn't co-ed previously 
and he was sponsoring a boys team instead of a girls team when he has two daughters yeah i thought that that was like super strange but it was supposed to play into like the dad's inherent like sexism because it's yeah. like a big theme throughout the movie i kind of jerry sucks yeah <laughs> is is he supposed to be read as sexist or just a dick i think that he's supposed to be read as sexist like especially at the beginning of the movie where he sort of like disregards his daughter's um athletic abilities until it like benefits him and his team um but i think we're supposed to read him as like sort of sexist definitely hyper competitive yeah extremely competitive kind of a dick um because he really wants sam on the team and does not want emma on the team um so like sam he really wants on the team because she's like a super good player emma is like not a good player but it's, like, really important to both girls to get their dad's approval. Um, and they're doing it, like, draft style, like, how they pick their teams. See, in, in every, like, little league I was in growing up, either you had to be on your parents' team or you explicitly could not be on your parents' team. Mm. That's how it always worked. That's less dramatic, though. Yeah, that is less dramatic. I, I don't know that I was ever in, like, a draft style thing. Yeah, I've never like... seen kids get drafted like that. Yeah, I I think it was always, like, random, honestly, when we were, like, that little. Yeah. It was, like, random. Yeah, I honestly don't remember how it usually works. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I tried a lot of sports growing up, um, and I... That's how it always worked in my yeah. memory. <laughs> I, I think that you could request. Yeah, I think that you could request to be on someone's team. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it was, it was random. I know, like... Generally, if my brother and I, who are pretty close in age, were, like, in the same league, we would pretty much always end up on the same team, just for, like, convenience. My sister always requested that uh, we were not on the same team. Oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> she was like, we weren't, like, super close in age but we were like three years apart so there were there were times where we could have been on the same team and yeah. she would always like throw a fit so that we were never on the same Jeez. team so i like brutal myself because i'm trying to remember what we even would have i think we were on like some soccer teams together maybe like a basketball team or something i don't think we ever ended up playing baseball together but i also dropped out of baseball pretty young this is no one cares about this part of the conversation (laughs) yeah i I know that volleyball we like could have been on the same team because i was like at the young end of the age bracket and she was at the high end um but instead i think she went up an age bracket and i went down an age bracket or something like that um so we were not on the same team okay but yeah <laughs> See, you're so much nicer to your younger siblings than my sister was. My brother was much, much, much better at sports than I was. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> my sister and I were both pretty good at volleyball and probably okay. mediocre at most other sports. I was pretty bad at sports. My brother was pretty good at sports. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I I suck at most sports. I'm still pretty decent at volleyball. Let me do that. Let me do like pickup games. But anyway, back to the movie. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so um, they do it draft style. The mom like convinces the dad to pick Emma instead of Sam. Um, 
or or something like that. Yeah, she, it was the mom. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, yeah, it was the mom being like, "Well, you have to pick Emma because otherwise she's going to be picked last." Yeah. Um. So I think that his plan is that he's just sort of hoping that Sam will still be around in the next draft. And of course, yeah. she's not. She's like picked up immediately by someone. Well, else. no, because um, it was she wasn't going to be, and so his his ace in the hole was that the other dads also being sexist dads didn't know she was like awesome mm. so okay so they want to pick all the boys that's right yeah so he yeah. was just gonna grab both of them and figure it was okay but then the last second um this like new coach or whatever shows up and picks sam yeah and he has like the shitty team yeah um and so yeah so they they go through the rest of the draft and the dad like makes like a really good team and sam ends up sort of like the star player on like the worst team yeah um but the sisters agree to do like a little switcheroo um one to make their dad happy and two that sam has a crush on a boy and um i think the boy is on that team yeah i think so yeah um so she ends up on like the team that's sort of like fitting for her abilities and, yeah. and so does her, like, her dad's team yeah her dad's mm-hmm. team um her dad somehow does not is not able to tell his daughters apart and like just <laughs> just doesn't care i guess um, he does learn eventually he does learn eventually but but like it's through Wait, this no, 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 no no i think that they do talk to him about it from the beginning oh yeah, yeah i think they do yeah. I, th- I think they actually go to him first and ask him if he thinks it's a good idea and he thinks it's a great idea yeah uh, he's pretty stupid yes <laughs> he's like clearly favoring one child over the other um is like sure uh their mom finds out about it eventually because she can tell her children apart and they keep making up these lies that they're like going to the library yeah. or whatever um and um so the dad Okay, so the mom tells them to go back to their original team. Um, everyone gets all pissed about it. Like, each respective team gets really pissed about it. And Sam and Emma want to um, want to quit. So the mom decides to start coaching the shitty team mm-hmm. um, because Jerry refuses to let them quit. Um, and because this team now has, like, a somewhat adequate coach um she's able to like sort of whip the team into shape and then they go head to head in the um in the finale and they sort of like are able to figure out that um emma like why she was doing so poorly at the sport was not because she was particularly bad at soccer but because she's not like a forward she's like a goalie yeah um and then she's like really good at it and um so then at 20 seconds left, Sam kicks the ball into the goal, is blocked by Emma tying the game. The Buzzards and the Hurricanes become co-champions of the Youth Soccer League Organization Tournament. Yeah. Um, verbatim from the Wikipedia article, because I didn't remember how it ended. Uh, I guess they didn't go into kickoffs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real test of if she's a good goalie, how she stands up against, against kickoffs. Um and this makes uh this means that sam gets a date with the boy she wanted to go out with 
and Richie goes on a date with Emma. I don't know who Richie is. I don't remember. And uh, Jerry learns to treat his daughters equally and that winning isn't everything mm. because he double won. So that means yeah. that he knows that winning isn't everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, those are the three movies. Mm-hmm. They all sort of follow the same structure. So fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and filled with tangents about, you know, soccer mm-hmm. and stuff. This movie seemed to barely understand how soccer worked, which was delightful. Which was fine, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> it makes a better movie. Yeah, I think so. Because if it, like, understood soccer at all. Because what it seems like is, like, um, the person writing this, like, went to, like, one youth soccer league practice and was like, well got it all yeah <laughs> like i figured I know how this figured out soccer yeah. um and uh because i didn't say this at the beginning um passport to paris was directed by alan meter and written by elizabeth uh kruger and craig shapiro switching goals was directed by david steinberg and written by david kukoff and uh matt rushkow and billboard dad was directed again by alan meter and written by um, Maria Jacques Maton. I don't know if if, okay. if her name is supposed to be said French or not. But fun fact, um, she was the producer of Mad Men, of Mad Men, and huh. uh, like wrote the first like five episodes or something. Okay. Um, fun fact about that. So yeah, so let's talk about the movies. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll kind of kick it off. I want to talk about like the way that Mary Kate and Ashley sort of built kind of like a cinematic universe but held together by continuity in like theme and cast rather than canonical continuity so i think that's really interesting because you're sort of supposed to go into this like understanding the mary kate and ashley like canon um i think that these movies like I don't think it's that they don't work because they're so simple that like anyone can like follow them but I think that like what would make people endeared to them is like being attached to Mary Kate and Ashley as like public figures yeah um especially like as children like you know even in children's movies you would like flesh out characters more than this and have like tighter plots than this and you also wouldn't make like 17 direct to vhs movies yeah um because you're supposed to go in like understanding um mary kate and ashley and like what they're about which is that they're like meant to represent this like sort of universal like young american girl experience and um in in doing that they use a lot of things as sort of like shorthands like Mm -hmm. um you know there's one who who's usually a girly girl and one who's usually a tomboy and like um playing on this sort of like we didn't get into it a lot in the plots but but this sort of like um understanding of like a twin experience and like oh you're always being mixed up and there's sort of this mm-hmm. constant conflict of like showing that you're different because yeah. you look alike um yeah i think these movies actually benefit from that um in the same way and this is where like kind of like, i wanted to make an like, interesting comparison because something that I think that Marvel movies benefit from is because of all their continuity, they can just, like, get right into the movie without having to do all the setup. And it means right. there's, like, more movie per movie sometimes. 
Yeah. Now you can complain that what they do with that can be like formulaic or whatever, but like especially more recent Marvel movies, stuff like Black Panther can just kind of like just go. Yeah, because like you're supposed to understand, well Black Panther did actually mix this up a little bit because like when when Claw shows up in like Black Panther, you're like, that dude's gonna die. Like he's not gonna be around because that's just like how they set up their movies now. Um, and they don't need to like super, you know, we get this like very basic backstory and because like it's sort of expected that like if you really care that much, you'll like go to his like Wikipedia page to like read who he was in the comics, but he's really just there as a cameo. Um, and that lets them get away with like not giving him much of a backstory and just letting him do like generic bad guy things until he's like defeated. Um, but then, you know, that, that specific movie is not the greatest example of that because then it ends up being um, Michael B. Jordan's character who is, like, the sort of, like... The true bad guy. Yeah, the yeah. T- true bad guy slash not an anti-hero because he's not really a hero, but, like, you know, de- definitely, like, a morally gray type of character. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes that movie, like, good, good and interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that in the same way that Marvel movies kind of sometimes benefit from that ability just to jump right into it, um, I feel like these Mary-Kate and Ashley movies sort of do too, because they don't have to spend, like, the first, like, act or whatever, or, like, like getting you familiar with, like, the specifics. They can kind of count on you basically knowing what this movie is and just kind of get right into, like, the quote-unquote, like, good part, like, what people, you know, have paid their like three dollars to blockbuster for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean even like the bad stuff that happens in the movie you sort of like go in with the understanding that like you can rally against it because you know that it'll be defeated like you yeah. know you you know at the beginning of the movie that there's no way that nigel gets away with like any of this and you can like hate mm-hmm. him and the only thing that they present to you is stuff to hate yeah. um and then they just get rid of him and sort of like unceremonious like he's he's defeated now he's not gonna like bother dad anymore um i think that's interesting especially with the adult characters they lean on that like a lot um where like you have like um max who's like a caring but depressed dad or like jerry who's like just sort of like a dick and they they communicate this like very quickly um and that's sort of like all the character building that we get until, like, the end, they, like, basically say the moral of the movie and then it's, like, over. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we want to move on to, like, another discussion point? Sure. Okay. I don't know if that was, like, overly, like, making a hard break with it. Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Okay. I want to talk about, like, the way that Mary-Kate and Ashley, um, can kind of fill like the role of like a mary sue character sometimes mm-hmm. um i think this is most prominent in passport to paris um i think it's there and the other two as well um i, I want to clarify like these days like anytime there's a female character who does cool stuff like shitty nerd boys will scream mary sue mm-hmm. but um, this is like a true mary sue, yeah this I is think. more it's like closer to the tree thing i don't even mean it as like a bad thing i just think it's like descriptively helpful yeah because like part of the appeal of mary kane ashley is that you're supposed to like imagine yourselves in their shoes so you're supposed to like 
one, have an opinion if you're more like a Mary-Kate or an Ashley, you're more a tomboy or a girly <laughs> girl, the two flavors of girl. Um, but in in Passports Paris especially, you're right, like, they're going on this, like, cool adventure, and, you know, they, they're both, like, cool girls, too. Um, and they're able to, like, navigate, like, literally an entirely different culture, like, pretty much with these because, like, you know, kids are, like, smart and cool and they have, like, you know, a cool twin sister and they get into shenanigans and, like, they have all this this access that um, other people don't have because their grandpa's the ambassador to France and you're supposed to, like, imagine yourself in that yeah. situation. Yeah, there's definitely, like, a sort of insert like a uh, power fantasy sort of thing there i mean not even power fantasy but it's like a certain specific type of fantasy yeah it's almost like a social fantasy yeah it's like a sort connection of. fantasy yeah and yeah. It, like it, these movies almost feel like um the stories that like kids will play out with like dolls and stuff like that okay. like it like yeah, be like you know like a scenario of like oh like um you know, we're in Paris because our, our grandpa's the ambassador and, like, oh, we do cool stuff, like, sneak away from his assistant and we meet a celebrity and we, like, run off with boys and, you know, you have, like, romance, adventure and, like, you know, um, the heroism when they, like, convince the French president to, like, clean up the drinking water. Yeah. Which I'm still so tickled by. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of, like, the Mary Sue thing specifically, I think it's actually useful to contrast this to, like, for this, like, Rey from Star Wars who is not a Mary Sue. Right. Because Rey is, like, very good at stuff, um, learns things very quickly, um, but importantly, like, she grows and changes as a character over the course of, like, The Force Awakens and the other films. Um, and also, she does not ultimately resolve every conflict by just being so likable that everyone just drops their grievances and gets along that she you know wins conflicts by beating people mm -hmm. which i think makes her not a mary sue whereas like yeah. mary kate and ashley and passport to paris really are more like a mary sue because they don't really beat anyone to resolve conflicts like the conflicts they don't really have to do that much like the conflicts are basically resolved by just they're just themselves and i mean we have like they do a little bit of work with like they're going to convince the french president or whatever but like it's very very minimal and it's really presented more as just their natural charm is what wins the day rather than like their ability to grow and change as people right that it's they didn't have to change at all it's just everyone else had to get used to how cool they were <laughs> yeah and there's almost like a meta narrative to there where it's like not only are you rooting for like emily and tess or whoever the fuck their characters are yeah. you know that they're mary kate and ashley and the the sort of like meta narrative is oh th these are girls just like you and they get to be in cool movies in france mm -hmm. and like yeah. you know and that's um that's how they like market it and how they're able to like sell so much is that mm -hmm. you know mary kate and ashley are just like you um you know they're like cool girls who have these like couple like quirks or whatever but that just like really makes them cooler um yeah. and you know uh the sort of like going back to like um uh, <laughs> going back to a previous episode we talked about this briefly with batman where it's like um 
you know, you have, like, Star Wars and, like, Rey, she's someone that people can, like, really connect to, but, like, she's also a Jedi. There's this level of being, like, a little bit more unattainable, but Mary-Kate and Ashley um, is sort of, like, you know, they're, they're young girls, um, they're not playing anyone with, like, supernatural powers or anything, they're playing someone, like, just like you, so you get this, like, sort of comparison where, like, we can't really be Spider-Man because he has superpowers, but we can be Batman because all we need to do is be rich, um. (laughs) Yeah, which, that was actually something else that I was struck by with these movies, is how firmly rooted they are in the real world. Yeah. That none of these movies, and my expectation is that none of the whole Mary-Kate and Ashley canon, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think there's any, like, supernatural or, like, speculative, speculative elements to any of it. Certainly in these not, movies. Not that I recall. I mean, like like I said, the ones that I really liked were, like, you're invited to Mary-Kate and Ashley, which, mm-hmm. which are sleepover movies. Like, it's literally, like... Mm-hmm you know, them and them, their friends at a sleepover at their house and they're, like, singing and making pizza and they, like, yeah. sneak out. So that's, like, as adventurous as we get in these movies is just sort of, like, this uh, mm-hmm. real world but almost in, like, a dream-like state where, like, kids have, uh, have like, the ability to, like... Like, a little bit more yeah. freedom than... Yeah, like, a little bit more adventure, a little bit more freedom. Um, everything is, like, they're, like, a little bit cooler and less awkward than, like, a kid yeah, would be. Yeah, um, But, yeah, they're all, like, like, even with Passport to Paris, like, you could very easily imagine them, like, using, like, a fictional country or something. Right. And that would, like, let them, like, make up stuff. Genovia. Yeah, yeah. But they don't. Like, they put it in Paris, France, mm-hmm. and, like, root it in that. And really, like, play in that space with it. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, Paris, France especially has such, like, iconic, like, you know, there's, like, the Eiffel Tower yeah. and, like, the, you know, Arch, the Arch de Triomphe, or mm-hmm. I'm saying it wrong. Arc de Triomphe. Yeah, Arc de Triomphe, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, these elements. And, like, literally they have a scene in the movie where they're, like, driving around Paris there's someone with a camera in the front seat and Mary mm-hmm. Kate and Ashley are pointing out the window like there's the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, um, which is like I think like a good way to, to communicate that that they're literally just, you know, yeah. um that had to be like an easy day shooting too. Oh, they're just, yeah. yeah, they're just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I I definitely see those aspects of it. Um, and that's, like, how they convinced, uh, they, they convinced everyone to, like, buy so hard into, like, these little girls as commodity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you even look at, like, their fan club, it was the fun club, because you weren't, like, a fan, you were having fun with them. They're, they're just like you, Mm -hmm. they're your friends. Um, it's almost, like, pre- Well, yeah, it's, like, parasocial. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very parasocial, it's almost, like, pre-YouTuber, like, authenticity. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Because you imagine that- Today, this, they would just be YouTubers. Yeah. If they wanted to pursue this. Yeah. And they could have, you know, this, especially because these were all direct to video, they weren't like releasing big budget films yeah. except for like New York Minute. Um, it was really just like, you know, today this would be a YouTube channel and a Patreon. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a slew of merchandise oh yeah it would be like it would be like the jake paul thing right where it's like 
you know, every like couple minutes in their in their uh, in their videos, they'd be like advertising something. Yeah. Um, Which to these uh, movies credit, they did not like seem like they were plugging merch. No, they they weren't plugging merch. Um, they certainly plugged merch like elsewhere. Sure. Like you couldn't get away from oh, Mary yeah. Kay and Ashley stuff. I'm sure it was around, but they like managed to surprisingly keep it clear of the movies. Yeah. Which, um, so their company, Dual Star Entertainment, I don't think was the only production company. Um, I think that the You're Invited movies did that more. I haven't yeah. seen these movies in 20 some odd years. That would make sense if they were like literally just Mary Kate and Ashley as themselves. Yeah. It would make it very easy to plug merch. <laughs> yeah. And I think I even, so I, I, obviously we didn't have like, you know, the beginning trailers here. I think at the beginning of all these movies on the VHS tapes, they had like four or five trailers about like the fun club and the other movies and like, you know, they have they have stuff at limited to. Um, yeah, but like the plot themselves are are pretty free from that sort of thing. But yeah. definitely like before and after the movies, I'm I would bet money on the fact that like from my memory this is correct that they were advertising all the other movies because this was part of like a something like a 13 Mm -hmm. movie deal and um also like the fun club and like all the all the merch and like you know go to this like 1999 website that takes 10 (laughs) minutes to load um it was a whole thing yeah it was a whole thing um and it's like so like it just makes me like oh now like thinking about like little girls as a commodity it's just like it's something that like really squicks me out yeah, and i like that, don't like it that's fair I, I mean is it a commodity though or is it like parasocial bond so uh, I, I i i'm thinking of it more like the adults in the room being mm. like oh here's these like two little girls were going to make their lives making a million movies and like you know they're gonna be like world famous celebrities and and stuff like that Mm -hmm. which is just something that just like i don't know like now i sort of like feel for kids like oh like i want them to have like normal lives yeah that's fair i mean i will say it does seem to me like probably being on these sorts of movies i imagine was a lot easier on them than if they were doing like like big big budget hollywood stuff yeah because like there's no stunts there's no like crazy vfx going on yeah but they're still making their whole being like a business like your like your identity from Mm -hmm. you know the time that they were literally like infants like a couple months old is like um is, yeah. is a business it's you know they're being paid to like be children and grow up in front of a camera um and in that sense like they go from being sort of like everyone's daughters to like then marketing themselves to their peers and like being like oh like mm-hmm. we're, we're just like you except they're not like at all this is like yeah. some this is something that like an adult person crafted for them um and like as they gotten older i'm sure that they you know had more and more input on that or or at least i would hope so um but yeah like i definitely don't knock the parasocial relationship or like the idea that like it's not a bad thing for like kids to see themselves um represented but i'm almost like 
you know, I, I, I want kids to have the chance to be kids, too. Yeah, which I think is fair. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I just think about stuff. Like, I, I remember when they were, like, asked to host uh, Saturday, Saturday Night Live. Um, it was, like, the same night as, like, their high school prom, and they, like, went to host Saturday Night Live and, like, missed their prom. Um, which is just, like, man, like, for, from such a young age, like, you have, See, like... See, I a... missed my prom. I didn't even get to host Saturday Night Live, so... <laughs> I, I did not miss my prom. I did leave early, though. Okay. I had um, zero interest in going. So. Yeah, and, like, I don't know, you know, these women. I don't know how they, like, actually mm-hmm. felt about that. But that, that always struck me as this sort of, like, unfortunate thing where, like... You know, you missed your prom because you presumably didn't want to go, whereas they missed their prom because they had these, like, careers that they needed yeah. to think about. Um, which, like, for kids, you know, you would hope that they wouldn't be put in that sort of position, that they would miss these uh, milestones that they may have wanted to, you know, have um, to further their careers. And, you know, um, now they're not in the public eye at all, like, really by choice. So mm-hmm. hopefully they have, like a nice work-life balance yeah yeah, one would have. <laughs> yeah. i don't know it's just that sort of thing where i'm just like i like kind of wish that this wasn't like marketed as hard that you know it wasn't like their days were filled with like um business and stuff like that and you know mm-hmm. you always read like unfortunate things about like uh about like kids in hollywood and stuff like that and hopefully you know know that like affected them but yeah yeah and of course there are like especially in california like child labor laws and stuff that everyone has to adhere to so it's not like they were like missing out on everything like presumably they still like went to school and stuff um i'm sure they had an interesting childhood (laughs) yeah they certainly had a unique childhood um and then having your identity too being like so tied to like it's not even like Mary Kate Olsen, it's Mary Kate and yeah, Ashley. Actually, like yeah. you're, you're such a like a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's hard. I, I have not done any research at all to know how what they've had to say about it. Support so of me is reluctant to try and like speak for them on it. <laughs> yeah, and the answer is I think that they like don't talk about okay. it. Um, which I, which like fair like you know yeah, um yeah. i think that that's probably the correct thing to do in most cases is to not like give interviews about like your personal life or anything um but yeah it, it is interesting just to look like looking back as an adult like that's sort of like the stuff i think about okay. which is which is why i bring it up just just like just the whole idea of it feels off now as an adult yeah Yeah. whereas like a kid you don't like think about stuff like that you think about like like, you want to be that yeah you want to be that you want to be like a movie star or whatever like them you want to be like famous like them um and then as an like as you grow up you sort of like realize what that means and what that entails not to say that there aren't like lots of adults who would still like Mm -hmm. gladly trade places um but yeah just like the whole thing feels like a little bit ickier you know looking back um and you know of course this was like an important parasocial relationship that i had growing up i remember like um i think i had dolls of them or something but we would like play mary kate and Mm -hmm. ashley like on the playground and stuff like me and my other like um you know young female friends would like play mary kate and ashley and we would like fight over who got to be you know ashley because ashley was always like the girlier one yeah um 
Another thing that is interesting to me, um, sort of circling back around to something we were talking about very early in the, the podcast about like um, how like tightly marketed this was to girls, mm-hmm. um, because like I was like I growing up was not necessarily averse to stories about girls. I mean, like one of my favorite movies growing up was Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Um. Not, not like, I'm not trying to say I was like a woke kid or anything. It's just, just like, I feel like given a slightly different marketing twist, maybe they could have been selling this movie to some of us boys. Yeah, but they decided not to, and, and probably for good reasons. That, that if they had tried to twist it that way, they probably would have ended up not appealing as much to girls. Who you know, part of, probably part of what they liked was that this was for them it was like one thing yeah. that like the stupid boys it was, wouldn't take gr- it was girls only because boys are like a little bit like tokenized in in like these movies mm-hmm. like they're always just sort of like they're jean and michelle the yeah. love interests who have yeah. hardly any personality or like ryan who's like the bad kid with a heart of gold that they don't mm-hmm. dig into like at all because the movie kind of like doesn't care like yeah the movie wants like little boys to be like love interests or like weirdos <laughs> yeah yeah um which is a which is an interesting twist because like so often um especially in like ensemble movies with like a lot of kids you have like 14 different flavors of boy and then like the girl who's either like yeah. the girly sister or like the girl who like is a tomboy and like wants to mm-hmm. fit in with the guys yeah but this really was like it really was aimed at girls yeah and gave them something that i mean it treated boys in it the way that girls are treated in like most movies yeah and it didn't even really let you like well it did in in some cases like you know they left all the characters just blank enough that you could sort of like fill in with your own personal experience like Mm -hmm. Oh, like, you know, Jean is, is like, also like this as you're writing your little head cannons, playing with your dolls or whatever. Um, and the same thing with Mary Kay and Ashley. You could, like, project a lot onto them. Or Jerry, yeah. you could project a lot onto being, like, that asshole dad figure who, like, uh, redeems himself, which presumably for, you know, little girls who had the sort of sexist, hyper-competitive asshole dad yeah. they wanted to have. And they wanted him to have this, like, coming to Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. Um it's like part of the social fantasy yeah and and you see that so much with like basically all of the adult relationships in all of these movies they're like told from the perspective of a child like how like a child would understand a relationship like that so the conflicts are like extremely basic and easily solved um with just some like ingenuity and pushing the right buttons from the kids um we all just need two twin girls to uh solve all of our problems yeah. for us because kids can kids can do stuff too adults make it like too hard I, I think that that's also interesting that was a plot in like every single movie is like this is sort of this like childhood misunderstanding of um you know like more complicated like social problems especially like why grandpa can't just be like clean up the water you dick um because in yeah. those movies, that would be the solution, is that you would just do that and it would work. Whereas, like, yeah. in reality, there's many reasons why people don't just do that. And that's yeah. sort of, like, a yeah. part of growing up is you figure out, like, why that is. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we are running out of steam a little bit on 
discussing these uh, yeah deep films. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. Are there any big points you wanted to hit before we sort of wrap her up here? Um, I think that was mostly it. That's all, all right. I have in my notes. Do you have any final pressing thoughts, Thomas? I sure don't. Um, would you recommend these movies? Um, you know what? If you like look up the synopsis of these movies or listen to us talk about them and they sound like you might like them, you probably will. Yeah. Like they're well-made movies. Um they're constructed pretty reasonably, I think. Um they're not like really deep. Um but I don't know, like if you want a movie about twins, you know, kind of getting into mischief. Getting into mischief going on low stakes adventures and kissing boys then you'll probably like these movies (laughs) yeah like if you haven't seen these movies in like you know 21 years or whatever um get a glass of wine watch them again (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i'd never seen them i didn't think they were bad they were like perfectly watchable um i mean i don't know if they're super relatable to me yeah. But I thought they were, like, fun enough to watch. I would, like, show them to a kid now. I think okay. that, I think that yeah. there's, yeah, like... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if yeah I, I have, no problem like, showing this to a kid now. Yeah. Even though there's, like, this whole, like, lack of technology and the movies, like, clearly age themselves in some ways. I think that, like, um, the stories and the characters and stuff are still pretty relatable to kids now. Yeah. I think kids care about that stuff less Yeah. than you might think. Yeah, I think so, too. Um... 90s were just like such a good era for kids movies like the 80s and 90s a lot of good kids movies coming out yeah i don't know what the kids movies now are like i don't well I well we get YouTube like this is eating it. yeah because we get like the super high quality like pixar movies or yeah. like youtube <laughs> yeah well i think i mean economically speaking like the issue is that like the movie rental business has just like fallen off a cliff yeah which is i think what really sustained um this type of filmmaking right because unless you were rich you couldn't buy all like 17 movies yeah you're not going to actually own all these movies but um if you're making these movies you'll get to sell lots of copies to like little corner blockbusters and stuff all over the country and do just fine and you have to sell the merch and like that's what these movies are kind of really oriented around is they're like there's enough there to be worth spending a few bucks on a rental, mm-hmm. um, but still like inexpensive to make and everything. Um, I, I think that today it's harder um, because the bar for streaming services feels to me like it's really been raised a lot. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just like like Netflix isn't just like slapping low budget stuff out there. Like if anything, like Netflix is making some of the higher production level content that comes out these days yeah um i think that the closest equivalent is like youtube but that is such a different type of platform and such a different medium that it's hard to even properly compare though in terms of like how kids consume media i do think that has pivoted from like renting movies from the local blockbuster to like pop up in youtube and watch whatever's on yeah because like even, like, the closest comparison, which I think would be, like, Stranger Things, 
they're doing more like the Shirley Temple thing, I think, where it's just yeah. like, look at these kids. Yeah, it's like, aimed at adults. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. aimed at adults. Kids like can watch it and like mm-hmm. see that like, oh, these are like my peers. That's super cool. But also like part of the appeal of Stranger Things is that like adults are going to be watching it mm-hmm. and have like nostalgia for the time and also being like, these are my children now. Yeah, um, yeah. Which a lot of people, you know, buy into. And I think that Stranger Things is, is a really good show, especially towards the beginning. Um um, so, yeah. That's, I, it's short of, like, YouTube, I, I would agree. I don't think that we have, like, a, like, a Mary-Kate Ashley equivalent. And I don't know what children are on YouTube, because I don't watch children on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, my guess is that is, like, the closest. Yeah. Equivalent. And, and also just, like, like, the market has been eaten there. Right. Um, it might be that as because we're still in the very early day because i mean like the 90s represented essentially a sort of like late period of like the home video era right like it was like very well developed the markets had really settled down and like everyone kind of knew what was going on whereas right now we're kind of yeah the like i feel like the beginning of the middle period of this kind of like streaming era yeah, especially now with, like, um, with movie theaters not really open. Some are, but, you know, yeah. um, you sort of, like, are testing, releasing these major blockbusters, like, just on streaming yeah. and, like, seeing how they do. And, you know, we might see a change in how movie theaters and everything work as a result. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see how <laughs> that goes. Support your local movie theaters, buy gift cards and stuff. Don't mm-hmm. go and watch a movie because that's not worth it. No, it's not worth it. But definitely buy gift cards, um, especially if they're an independent theater like we have here in Cleveland. Or go to the drive-in. Drive-ins are are fun. Um, we've been a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, um, I I think that that's sort of the end of our uh, movie discussion. Um, to put a like end on it. Um. Uh, you can find more about um, this podcast, all of our podcasts at projectderailed.com. You can find merch for this show and derailed in general at bit.ly slash derailed shop. Um, our other podcasts are Tales of the Voidfarer and uh, Fables Around the Table, both of which are actual play podcasts with tabletop role-playing games. And um, yeah, if you like this show, leave a review. You can also leave a review if you don't like it, too, but preferably you do like it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't Um, love it. No one's going to dislike this show. Who could? Yeah. They might have just heard a dog bark right there. Yeah, that's not our dog. That one's, you know, the podcast (laughs) is free, folks. We don't know whose dog that was. (laughs) If you hear a cat meow, that is our cat Mia. Um, We'll leave in that dog bark just like we leave in Mia's meows. Mm -hmm. Although Mia's meows is usually because we're talking and can't edit them out. But <laughs> but anyway, I think that we've officially run out of steam. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Any any last pressing things? Nah. All right. Have the a good end. one, everybody. Bye. Bye.
Introducing Tales of the Voidfarer. Join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this D&D 5th edition podcast inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. My name's Marco Astorio. My character is a Gith Yankee. My character is a Doar. Adorable little penguin people. You're Ravnus, right? Yes, I, 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 and you are. I, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckby Cumble. My name is Captain Valeria Rain, and welcome aboard the Voidfarer. Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on! There's so much to see over here! Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. <laughs> that's funny. Wait, did you just hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. <laughs> Projectderailed.com